I feel like still the majority of people don't realize, you know, that 30% is going to Uber, which is a lot. It's a lot, like people, I don't know if people understand that, but like every, you know, $100 that you make, $30 of that money goes to Uber Eats, it's gone. Margins are slim and margins are already slim in the, in the hospitality industry. It's Monday and Dirty Linen is still in lockdown, as is much of Australia. We are heading to Sydney today to talk to John Lapouris. He is the owner of two businesses on Sydney's Lower North Shore. One is Against the Grind. The other one is Crumbed, House of the Schnitty. And I guess we're picking up a lot of hot topics at the moment today, John. Obviously lockdown and Sydney and the whole situation there, but also food delivery and the uh, the big tech companies that are making life convenient for some, but very difficult for others. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How is your lockdown going? Um, we're okay. We have uh, a little two-year-old, so it feels like we're always locked down anyway. <laughs> um, it's not it's not too bad, you know, so, but a lot of, I think a lot of people are, are struggling with it and it hasn't been easy and, and on the business as well, it, you know, it's not been great for our business. So. Well, give us a little rundown on the two businesses. Um, start with Against the Grind. Tell me what that's all about. Yeah. So um, we started Against the Grind with a couple of my mates about four years ago now. Um, it kind of just started as a small coffee shop. <clears throat> and it kind of grew a little bit from there. And then last year we expanded and we added a deli section to it and we um, kind of tried to do, a, you know, make, make it a little bit bigger, put in a bigger kitchen, do a lot more things that we weren't doing previously. And, yeah, it, it was going great. But right around the time that we sort of had planned that that expansion was the first lockdown, so wasn't easy last year we had to we had to work through a lot of just difficulties and and um trying to do a um trying to do a build and trying to expand your business right in the middle of when you had to lock down basically most of your business and only do takeaways was a real challenge for us but thanks to a lot of great support from from the locals in neutral bay and and thanks to you know just I don't know, hard work and my business partner's hard work. We, we, we managed through it and we came out the other side and yeah, we're, we're still here fighting away. <laughs> I guess you were impacted by the Northern beaches cluster as well or, over summer. We were on the, we're further down. So we're in neutral Bay, which is kind of lower North shore. We didn't really get impacted by the Northern beaches cluster because that was more sort of over the spit bridge and, and towards further North. Great. So we were okay during that period. We, we, we did okay. And, and look, I got to be honest, a lot of the, the businesses that have done it really tough in Sydney have been the ones that are in the CBD. We know a lot of cafes in the CBD that have just had really horrendous issues and have not had any customers, no people going into work anymore. We're a suburban cafe, so it kind of worked a little bit to our favor in that, you know, a lot of people that stayed home to work from home would still come down and grab a coffee from their local shop. So we were lucky in that respect. And what about this lockdown, John? I mean, uh, Sydney hasn't, well, I'm in Melbourne, but I feel like Sydney hasn't really experienced the what it's like to be there now. I mean, how, how are things feeling? 
Yeah, I, I think Melbourne has got a little bit more experience with it by well at this point in time. Um, I feel like there's a lot of sort of impatience now out there. I feel like people feel a little bit, you know, on the one hand, obviously people, you know, they want to stay safe. No one wants to go out. You know, everyone wants to do their part. But then on the other hand, you know, I, I we do get a lot of customers who are just, they're just fed up with it. They, you know, they want to work. They want to get on with their lives. There's people, there's people that have to work as well. You know, we often forget that not everyone just has the option to sort of lock down and not go to work. And, you know, some people are dependent on their paychecks. They, they, you know, they, they work week to week and they need to, they need to work. They need to put food on the table. You know, who's going to help them? So, um, there is a lot of that sort of, you know, we're kind of fed up with it. You know, we wish we could just get over with it. We wish we had just, you know, gotten vaccines and sort of stuff like that, that we hear around people saying, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's tougher this time. I, I think, I think last time around in hindsight, we didn't know, like the, the fear of the unknown was much stronger last time around. We didn't know we had no vaccines. We didn't know where this disease was going. We didn't know how long it would last. This time around, I feel like we kind of, you know, there's there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like we we know that there there, there could be a way out of it, or we we've, we've had a little bit of a past experience with it, so it's not as daunting, I think, as well. Mm. Oh, that's good. I mean, and I know Sydney is such a big city and um, people tend to stay in their neighbourhoods to some degree. You know, does it does it feel in Neutral Bay that, you know, the epicentre of the Sydney outbreak is sort of is far, is far from where you are? I mean, do people feel like it? I think it does feel that way for sure. I do feel like um, a lot of people like on the lower North Shore kind of feel like, oh, you know, it's out west and, and um, it's not really gotten here yet. And, you know, I feel like some sometimes people sort of take that a little bit maybe too um, lightly um, because obviously we've seen how quickly this, this variant spreads and how dangerous it can be. So, yeah, you, you're, you're right about that. We are a very – Sydney side is a very sort of – they love to stick to their little bubbles and, and, and it's true. So, so John, let's talk about crumbed House of the Schnitty. Um, and I have to say, I was looking at the menu and it looks great. I mean, what is better than a great schnitzel? Yeah, so um, I'll tell you a little bit about it. We, we thought about this a while ago and um, we thought about, we really wanted to sort of um, take advantage of our, so we do breakfast and lunch, obviously, and, and then we close and we always felt like, it seems like kind of a waste to have a kitchen sitting there, you know, rent, rent, rent is paid, you know, on a 24 hour, like, it's not like you stop paying rent. So we kept thinking, well, how could we utilize our kitchen? And we're not really set up to do dinners that well. So we, we kind of thought about going down that route and it didn't really sort of pan out. So um, we thought, well, why don't we, you know, set it up as a ghost kitchen. And, and this is, I guess they're called ghost kitchens. I don't know if people kind of know that, that sort of terminology, but the idea is that you kind of set up a restaurant out of a kitchen or an existing kitchen and you kind of just run it online and you sort of use the platforms or you do a delivery system or you do a pickup system and people can go online and they can, you know, they can order their food and then they can just come and pick it up or they can order it off Uber or DoorDash or one of these delivery sites. So, um, so we thought, all right, that's, that's kind of a cool idea. And then we thought, well, what can we do? What can we do? And, you know, we thought like, you know, everyone, there's burgers everywhere and, you know, there's Thai food everywhere and there's sushi everywhere. And there's, you know, there's, there's all these foods that you kind of see on these websites a lot. And we kept thinking we want to do something that's kind of, 
you know, we wanted comfort food. We wanted people to like in want to sort of order it and sit at home and really enjoy it. You know, maybe watch a movie around it or something like that. And um, we thought about schnitzels and we thought, wow, that's like the ultimate comfort food. Like who doesn't love a good schnitty, you know? And then we thought about how it is a bit of a pain in the ass to make a schnitzel at home. You've got to like, there's a lot of eggs and crumbs and, you know, a, and whenever we do it at my place, at least it's like the kitchen is a mess. So we thought that would be a kind of a cool idea um, to run with kind of original. Cause you don't really see a lot of, re- well, I mean, you see schnitzels on menus, but um, you don't really see a, a restaurant that's kind of all about schnitzels. Um, so we wanted to make the schnitzel kind of the main focus of the, of the restaurant. And yeah, we kind of ran from there and, and then, you know, looking into the, the humble schnitzel, we thought, you know, we, we thought nostalgia and people, you know, feel very nostalgic about it. But also we thought every sort of culture has their kind of schnitzel. Like it's not just a, you know, I guess a German or an Austrian thing. Like, you know, the Japanese will make their tonkatsu where they use pork traditionally or, you know, the Italians make a version called cotoletta in the north where they basically crumb like a veal on the bone sort of um, situation. We thought, yeah, like we can do that. We can do like, we can do a veal one. We can do a chicken one. You know, you can do a, a pork one. Um, we've been thinking about doing a, like a vegetarian one. So that was the kind of the, the, the premise of it. And then we, yeah, we ran from there and, and we started that. It, it's really fresh. It's been four weeks now, basically, that we've started it. Oh, amazing. So, it's, I mean, it sounds like a really smart idea. You know, you've got this space that's not being used uh, for a large part of the day. Um, you, um, you've already, so you've already paid those fixed costs, or yeah, you're already paying those, and then you're going to use um, other platforms to get the food to the people for the most part. Uh, but it hasn't been as simple and smooth as that, has it? Well, no, it hasn't been as simple as smooth than that, and. I guess this was one of the things we were going to talk about. Um, it's been a real challenge, actually. It's It's been quite difficult on a number of levels to to sort of communicate with these platforms and just find the level of professionalism that you're trying to bring to the table from, from the other side has just been woeful. It's just been really not what I thought it would be. So tell us, tell me some of the issues. Well, I mean, first of all, it's kind of hard to contact these businesses. Um, look, uh, I don't know if I want to like specifically, should we specifically talk about specific um, companies? Or... Well, I'm happy to. You're, you're happy to. Okay. So like, for example, Deliveroo, um, we've sent them multiple emails um, trying to sign up. You go to their website trying to sign up your restaurant. For some reason, their website doesn't – well, it it throws you out. It tells you that you, you, you're entering your telephone number wrong and it just gives you the message over and over again. So we've, we've sent out emails to them trying to ask them, hey, we want to sign up with you guys. They email us back. They're like, oh, yeah, great. Give us, you know, your, your restaurant name, your restaurant details. You, you, you communicate back to them and then they never get back to you. So this has happened like with delivery. This has happened three times, four times. Now I think we've sent a few emails and they just disappear. That was, say, the situation with Deliveroo. Um, situation with Uber, like by the time you go through the, the whole um, process, by the time they get back to you, by the time, you know, they, they, they get you to upload photos, you upload the photos, then they say, no, these photos haven't been approved, then it takes another two. It's just so much time wasting with, um, with all these companies. Then one of the other issues I'm finding is that these companies really, they're not, 
they're not food people. They're not really in hospitality. They are tech people, I guess. And it's kind of hard trying to explain menus or trying to um, set up a menu or, you know, talking about, you know, a schnitty or a schnitzel, which you'd think most people know what that is. And, and yet you talk to some of these representatives and then they're like, well, what is this that you're trying to sell? Is it a schnitt? What is a schnitt? You know, like questions like that, that you think, well, hang on a second. Like if you guys are in this game, in this restaurant game, you should be knowing this stuff. Like you should be knowing, you know, what, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to sell, or at least you should be able to understand what we're trying to tell you, what we're trying to explain to you. So, that's another issue. Yeah. So you have managed to get onto Uber Eats. What's the experience been like once you're on the platform? So once you're on the platform, um, the Uber. So we've we've managed. I'll tell you what. We've managed to get on two platforms, and I'll tell you the platforms we managed to get on is Uber Eats at the moment and DoorDash. Now the Uber Eats platform. I got to say, once you do get onto the platform, their software is pretty good. I mean, the back the back office is pretty good. They give you a lot of analytics. They give you a lot of information. But again, reaching out to them is a real struggle. Trying to contact someone is a real struggle. It takes 24 to 48 hours. Like we had an issue the day that we were going to open with the menu and I emailed them and I said, hey, this is like, this is an issue with our menu. It's, it's not correct. Like uh, you got to change it. And they were like, oh, we'll get back to you in 48 hours. And I was like, well, hang on a second. We're about to open in three hours. It's not really helpful if you guys are going to get back to us at 48 hours. But anyway, um, other than that, they're okay. Um, the other real issue is like the pickup issue, which, which you had that article about and, and that's how we came to talk. Um, we have found that every time we get an order ready, it's probably waiting on average about 45 minutes before a driver shows up to pick it up. So we really like feel like, you know, the, the product is just every minute it's sitting there waiting is just becoming worse and worse and worse. So Yeah, I mean, a schnitzel, it's like you really don't want that sitting around for 45 minutes. No, you really don't want that. And, and, and again, like we went to quite a lengthy process of looking for the right so this, this is another thing, like we set up this business and we knew it was going to be kind of a delivery only business. So we really wanted to make sure that what we were doing was an experience and not just a crappy meal that you order, you know, on a Wednesday night, cause you're too bored to, to cook and you don't really have any high expectations of. So we really made sure that like our packaging was going to work. We really did a lot of tests to see like if we cook that schnitzel and like do, like how long do we need to rest it for so that we make sure that it doesn't, you know, steam up in the packaging and that it stays crunchy and fresh when it gets to our, you know, patron. Um, all these little things that we took time and we tried to like really sort of make sure and perfect and, and, and make sure that our customers were getting a great experience. And then, you know, you partner up with Uber Eats and then they don't give a shit. <laughs> like they just let your food sit there for 45 minutes. And I'm not saying they don't care. I'm, I understand that there's, there's probably a lot more logistical issues um, on their end, but you know, um, you feel as though you're giving up 30%, and that's the other thing. You're giving up 30% of your margin, which is basically all your profit margin. And for that type of commission, you kind of think that, okay, these guys should know their shit like these guys should be prepared they should know they should be on top of things they should be helping restaurants get their product out there so that people can 
have a good experience and order over and over again and come back to the to the situation to the restaurant. I mean, you say they might have logistical issues, but it is they are purely a logistics offering. So exactly, like what are what are the what are they doing well if they're not doing the logistics well? Well, that's what I that's what I'm trying to figure out. What are they doing well? Because. That's at the end of the day, that's what I keep thinking. I keep thinking we're paying a really, and, and again, I mean, I, I feel like 30% is a lot anyway, but I, I, I would be more willing to just say, all right, you know, you're giving away 30% of your margin, but you're also getting great service. You're getting great logistics. You're getting awesome customer support, um, you know, but you're not, you're not getting any of these things. And then on top of that, your patrons are getting food that you know food that you've worked hard to prepare and they're getting it and it's crap and then they're thinking that oh well the restaurant doesn't care they're not you know they're not putting their heart and soul into the food and it's just you know it's just it just ruins everything for everyone at the end of the day so um john you, you mentioned i mean you knew the percentage that they take before you started the business and you have started a purely delivery business why start it when you when it's going to be barely profitable so um one of the reasons we started it was cuz we just like i said we just wanted to figure out a way to utilize our kitchen more um and you know we just wanted to do more we just we just had the idea and we wanted to do it um the other reason that we kind of started it is that we did think about this and we did we did talk about this and discuss about this. Essentially for us at the end of the day, like our essential goal is to grow to a point where people know us enough so that they can come to us direct. Um, obviously, um, what we want to do is we'd want to have like our own website and people can order off our website. They can pick up for sure and potentially maybe – in the future, they could say um, we could have drivers to deliver as well. So that was one of the kind of ideas that we had. And we thought, you know what? The only way to really get your name out there fast now is through these delivery apps. And this is where you're going to get the most exposure. So we kind of thought of it as it's really a marketing cost at the end of the day. It's it's really like we're spending 30% of our budget on or 30% of our, yeah, on marketing. Yeah. Okay. However, if if spending that thirty percent doesn't give your customers the great experience that you want them to have, then it's actually not a very good marketing spend. Well, that's what we're what we're seeing now. Well, we didn't we didn't really realize that. No, we, but that's what you're realizing now as you actually actually roll it out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, is DoorDash much different? So, DoorDash seems to be even worse. So, Do, so DoorDash was relatively easy to sign on with, but since we've signed on with them, there's just been a myriad of problems. Um, the worst of which is that they there's a there's a banner pick that they put on you know like. I guess the landing page or when, you know, when you go onto your DoorDash app or your Uber Eats app and you're scrolling, there's an initial picture, right, that you'll see. <clears throat> That's the first sort of contact that I guess you get with the restaurant, that picture. Um, I asked DoorDash two weeks ago, I said, hey, like we want to we want to submit a banner picture and we want to submit a picture. And they said, oh, no, 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 we'll pick a picture for you. And um, <laughs> we, we saw the picture that they picked which is, it's horrendous. It is a picture. I, I, honestly, I think it's from like 1975 or 1980. And it looks like 
it's a steak for starters. It's not even a schnitzel. It's just a plain steak and a, and a really, really sad little green salad next to it. And I was like, oh my God, like this totally misrepresents us, has nothing to do with our restaurant. Like, what are they doing? I sent them like a bunch of emails same story. Oh, we'll get back to you. Oh, we'll we'll uh, submit us new pictures and we'll we'll you know we'll we'll pass them through a process and see if they get a, a agreed upon and then we might change that picture. And I'm like, hang on a second, you, you guys are like completely misrepresenting who we are, and it's nothing like what we're doing, and it's not even the same food. It's nothing. It's you know. So that was a real issue with that. Also, by the, so crazy. it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> That's really weird. Really weird. I'll tell you what's even more weird. We were we were supposed to be active on Wednesday and um, we weren't, or at least on my app. We tried to, to have a look through our phones to see if we could find our restaurant on our phones, but we couldn't. But we got two orders nonetheless. We don't even know how the orders came through. And then when we contacted um, DoorDash and we said, hey, like um, you, you told us that we were inactive. So they told us we were inactive. And yet we've got orders coming into the restaurant. How can you be inactive and also be getting orders? Anyway, it's just very cool. And and again, there's no there's no relationship manager. There's no one there that's like, hey, like, let us get you know, let us figure this out. Let us find out what's going on. This shouldn't be right. Nothing. It's just sort of all automated. You get this automated response. Um, oh, you know, we'll look into that. Give us twenty four to forty eight hours, and you're basically just left to you know figure it out on your own. So, I mean, the reason that you reached out to me, um, the reason you reached out to me, John, and I'm glad you did, it's because I wrote a story. Well, actually, in Melbourne on Friday night, there was an absolute, like, meltdown of Uber Eats here. Um, Apparently they had an outage, but it was basically a worse example of a situation that happens daily for restaurants which is as you've expressed orders are orders come in they're paid for people are waiting for their dinner but there's no driver to take the order um or, or to deliver the order um and that that's i wrote a story about that before there was this absolute meltdown on friday night um one of the things that Uber Eats said in a statement to me was that there are relationship managers, that there's always somebody that the restaurant can talk to and that they're in daily communication with their restaurant partners. So obviously there's um, – I haven't heard from any restaurant that that is actually the case, so that's an interesting disconnect. But the other thing that I suppose prompted me to write the story was that rest, uh, was that customers that are unsatisfied take it out on the restaurant because as the restaurant has found, you know, there is no one to talk to at Uber Eats. There's no – way to um, actually uh, express a grievance with the person that you've made the transaction with, which is the platform, not the restaurant. So people take it out on the restaurants. Has, has that been an issue with you guys? It's not, it's not been an issue with us as of yet. We are still fresh into the sort of the, the situation. Um, we've had like really great feedback from our customers so far. We've, we've gotten basically all five-star reviews, which I guess, I don't know, we're lucky or we've just, you know, been sort of luckier in that respect. Um, but I'm, I can understand it. I can understand the frustration. I mean, if you're getting your meal and it's like crap when you get it, you know, I guess the instinct is to call the, and also it's just hard to contact Uber, right? It's just hard to find a way to talk to someone because 
everything, like I said, is automated, at least for us. I don't know if they, if they say that they have relationship managers, but we don't have a relationship manager. No one ever came to us and said, Hey, where I'm your relationship manager. If you, if you need anything, you know, you contact me and I'll try and get it sorted for you. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I can, I can appreciate where patrons are coming from. I mean, I wish they, and this is the, this is the issue. I think people need to understand more that, it's really not worth it at the end of the day. People need to start. Well, what I feel like is going on is that, you know, Uber and these companies have seen sort of a gap in the market and they've realized this is an easy way for us to come in and we can exploit this to a certain extent. And I guess they feel like we need to exploit this now because at some point people will wake up and like the margins will start to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and it will become more and more competitive for them. So I feel like at the moment, they do this stuff because they can do it like no, like restaurants. And this, I think this was something I wanted to talk to you about. Restaurants feel like, you know, it's kind of game theory, right? Like restaurants know that they're giving away 30% of their margins, but they also feel like, well, you know, if my next door neighbor is on Uber Eats or not my next door neighbor, my next door restaurant is on Uber Eats and I'm not, I'm not as competitive. So I have to be on the platform too. So it's kind of like this snowball effect, this game theory. Everyone needs to jump on the platform in order to stay competitive, in order to stay ahead of the curve, you know, and all, all that. But it's a, to- it's a total rat race. Yeah, like- it's a rat race, exactly. And these companies know that and they're taking advantage of that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, the, pre- the patrons, they don't really understand that, you know, or like some of them do and some of them have woken up to the fact and you know there's a lot of articles i guess floating out there now but i feel like still the majority of people don't realize you know that 30 percent is going to uber which is a lot it's a lot like people i don't know if people understand that but like every you know hundred dollars that you make thirty dollars of that money goes to uber it's it's gone you know and margins are slim margins are slim exactly and margins are already slim in the in the hospitality industry so I feel like there's just not enough um, awareness yet. I feel like when there is enough awareness or I feel like when restaurants and patrons figure it out and start demanding more and saying, listen, like you guys are offering a service, but if the restaurants don't exist, then your company doesn't exist, right? Like if we're not on your platform, there's no platform there won't be any platform. I feel like at some point when people, you know, start sort of pulling at the threads, there could be a bit of a change. And that would, and that could be in the form of, because again, I don't know, maybe 30% is what Uber needs to make their business work. I don't know. I don't know the inside and outside of their business. I know though that it's very painful for me to pay 30%. And I also know that if I'm not getting something back for that, if I'm not getting a great service back from that, then I feel cheated. I don't want to continue doing you know, going down that route. Mm. So John, what are you doing about it? (laughs) What am I doing about it? That's a great question. Well, we're talking now and we're trying to sort of, you know, get that message out there. Um, I'm also running for local council. um, And I've been thinking about this a lot and my running mate sort of threw this idea out there that, Hey, maybe like, if we make it into local council and, and we do become councillors, we could potentially, you know, try and figure out a way to maybe sort of co-op the situation. So maybe like local councils could could sort of run a system where, you know, they can invite restaurants in the local areas to sort of jump on board and there can be sort of like a co-op situation where, you know, every restaurant pays a standard fee instead of a commission. Um 
and there's, you know, a better way to deliver or, you know, a better way to take advantage of the gig economy and maybe avoid having to go through the big apps or if not avoid, at least force them to be more competitive and force them to be better at what they do. Yeah. So that's kind of one idea that's kind of floating. I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be something simple and it it wouldn't be, you know, something easy, but you know, I mean, I don't have, I guess the solutions or the, I'm just sort of figuring this out as well as I go. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's great that you are prepared to, um, yeah, investigate solutions and also, I guess, to be outspoken and to put yourself on the line and, and run for council. Are there other issues that you're passionate about that's, um, that's inspired you to go into politics in this way? Um, look, I, I, I kind of grew up in this area. I mean, I did a long stint abroad, um, but I did grow up on the lower North shore and I have a degree in law and a degree in political science. So I, I have just general interest, uh, in politics and, and, um, and, um, legalities, I guess. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, the, the, the mayor that's currently the mayor uh, for North Sydney council is a patron of ours and, um, she's a great friend and, um, she'd come to the cafe and, you know, we talk and we talk about, you know, the, the, the local area and how we could improve it and how things could get better. And, and she said to me, you know, Hey, like, you know, the next elections, we, we need some more younger people coming into council. Would you be interested in running? And that's how that kind of came about. So I guess I'm passionate about neutral Bay and about our local area. And I really, I've really grown, you know, running a cafe has really opened my eyes to how much people, love community and people love to like our cafes come become kind of this little community thing and people come in and you get to know all the locals and you get to know all the people and and people like to talk people like to come in and also share their problems and you know we we become kind of like i guess like bartenders used to be kind of like psychologists right you'd go to a bar and you tell the bartender their problems now it's kind of like a coffee thing you go to you go to your your, your local coffee house and you kind of like share but it's, it's awesome to like hear people and talk to people. And, you know, I kept thinking, wow, like if only I could like, you know, help out with that or, you know, improve this street or, you know, do something about this. And I guess this was a way for me to kind of get in there and maybe try and help out the local community. Mm, Fantastic. And so how do you go from studying law and political science to getting into hospitality? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good question too. Um, I really, really loved food, like always, like I've been obsessed with kitchens and chefs and just food, just, just anything about food, just anything and everything about cooking and, and, you know, providence and where food comes from and cultures that different ways that cultures um, make foods. And I always kind of wanted to be in the food industry, but I, I, I guess I was, I was never ballsy enough to be a chef. I, I think it's such a hard job and it's, and it's so much stress and being in a kitchen. I, I, I don't think I was cut out for it, to be honest. I, I think I wouldn't have like survived, but I did want somehow to get into that industry. And, um, well, um, my family kind of, it's a little development here in, in neutral Bay that my family, my dad, basically built some apartments and there were some shops downstairs that, that he kept. And, and, you know, they were looking, he was looking for some tenants for the shops. And, 
um, we were looking specifically for one of the shops to put a little cafe or something in there. And, and, um, we couldn't really find a tenant. So I said, Hey, like, let me take a stab at it. And yeah, in the beginning, my dad was like, no, like you, you know, nothing about hospitality. Do not get involved. It's probably not a good idea. But I, you know, I kind of ground him down and my two best mates were baristas and they had run coffee shops before. So they had some experience or they had a lot of experience with coffee. Um, so I thought, no, we can like, we can make this work. Like I'll, I'll figure it, we'll figure it out. And um, yeah, that's how we got into it. We just, we just kind of took it from there. And are you glad you talked your dad into it? Yeah, I, am, I think I am. I think I am glad. It's been four years now and I feel like we've built something really cool and um, yeah, I, I, and I, like, like I said, like I love being around food. I love fighting with my chef who's like French and completely, you know, amazing at what he does and, and you know, but also completely like so difficult to like communicate with because he's like, no, I won't do this. And I'm like, yes, we have to do it this way. And it's always a fun time. And yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. And it sounds like with your businesses that you're not, uh, I mean, obviously we all want everybody out of lockdown. We want life to, uh, yeah, gear back up. But it sounds like you're not desperate for, uh, like you've got enough going on. Well, the way things are at the moment. We do. And that's true. And like, I thank my, our lucky stars every day that we have this amazing community and people that still support us. But on the other side of things, we do have a lot of employees. We have like a, a considerable amount of employees for a cafe. And um, a lot of our employees, they do need, they, they do need more more work they do need more hours and our business is that type of business where it, it, it is a little bit easier for us because they're all casual workers and we can cut down on their on the hours that they work but you know it breaks our heart because they want to work more hours but we just can't do it we just can't give them more hours and you want them there for you on the other side of course and we want them there for us on the other side because again the other the other issue is you know in australia it's really hard to find people that want to work in hospitality people think it's just a a, a transitional job until, you know, you know, young people think that, you know, I'll work in a coffee shop until I get my degree and then I'll, I'll go and do what my career is. You know, no one wants to be a waiter at a coffee shop. Right. So it's, it's kind of hard to find people that like are passionate about it or that really like care. So, yeah. Mm. It's, um, you know, there's the COVID disaster payment that your staff would be eligible for, um, depending on their circumstances, but it's not JobKeeper. And, you know, a lot of businesses that employ casuals have lamented the fact that the support payments that are available now don't connect, keep those employees connected to the business. Is that something that you've thought about as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of our employees have, have gotten these payments, but they've had to do it on their own. And, um, yeah, like you said, it's difficult. We, look, we try to keep, We've had some of our employees since the day one. So some of our employees have been with us since day one um, and we have a good relationship with them and we try to support them and we still try to give them hours as much as we can. But yeah, it's, it's not been easy. And I'll tell you something else. We weren't eligible for JobKeeper last time around and we didn't get anything from the government. We didn't get any help. Um, but we still, we still saw a drop in our revenue and we still, you know, we still had our issues and, you know, it's been a tough time generally, and it's also been hard to implement. A lot of times, that's another thing that's been a thing on my mind. I don't know how much time we've had, but, you know, a lot of time, like last year, we had all these, like, rules that we had to implement. And, 
you know, you get people coming and, and, and screaming at you, oh, why aren't you like spacing out your customers more? Why aren't you like making your employees wear masks? Why? And, and sometimes, you know, I think like we do our best, you know, like we're trying, but we're not, it's not like we're trained in this. We're not doctors. We're not police officers. We can't, you know, they're customers. We can't just scream at our customers and tell them to line up. You know, there's, there's a balance to it, right? And sometimes people, they just don't realize that it's a little bit harder or trickier. And there is a cost involved as well. There's a cost, there's a con- constant admin cost. You know, we constantly had to like fill in forms and do these different things that the government would ask us to do or fill in the COVID safe form every time. And, you know, which is fine. Like we, we want to get on board. We want to help. We want to make sure we're doing our part, but you know, also understand that we do our best. We do what we can. It's a business, you know, we're not there 24 seven as well. You can't always control your employees. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a struggle. Yeah. Compliance is definitely a burden that's placed on business and, you know, for good reason, but it's, yeah, it doesn't come at no cost. And as you say, it's um, when you're trying to, you know, you're a business that always tries to say yes to customers to try to then corral them and, you know, try to get them on board with, with various rules and rules that keep changing as well. Um, it does definitely have its challenges. Exactly, yeah. Um, all right. Well, John, it's been really fantastic to get your perspective. Um, and with these two quite different businesses, but both um, finding a way through this lockdown, I certainly wish you all the best with um, with both of them. Um, and yeah, keeping your community in Neutral Bay fed and watered. And good luck with uh, the elections. When's the, when's the election? They were programmed for September 4th, but they, um, they've been... Um they've been canceled that will not cancel. They've been post- postponed. So I'm not quite sure when that's going to happen. All right. Well, let us know how you go. Um, and uh, yeah, we really wish you all the best. Thanks so much for chatting to Dirty Linen today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. Hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.